0: scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 29. If you would turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 29. We, re- we read here the consecration of the priests of Aaron and his sons as they are set apart. And really what this is is an ordination service, the plans given for an ordination service, consecration meaning being set apart for this task. Before we read, let's ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word and as we consider uh, an ancient story, an an ancient occurrence of a consecration of a high priest with his sons that predated and foreshadowed a greater consecration, a greater ordination of he who would come, we pray that as we would read, you would give us understanding that we would be in awe of you and of your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bowl of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil, and pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting." you shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp it is a sin offering Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood, and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces on its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord." You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread, and one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord." You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar, on top of the burnt offering, as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved, and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination, from what was Aaron's and his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place shall wear them seven days. He shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them, because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bowl as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight And with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This ends the reading of God's word. People of God, today in our text we see an installation service, a rather long, a rather detailed installation service. Seven days it was to take, and we see specifically three sacrifices that are to be made for these priests as they were being ordained and consecrated. So my hopes this morning is rather simple. I want to explain what these sacrifices meant, and then explain how these sacrifices point to Christ. You see, as we've gone through Exodus, one of the things I've enjoyed is how clearly you see how Christ is the fulfillment of these things. Not everywhere in God's word is it so readily seen, is it so easy to see, oh, here is the sacrifice that so clearly represents Christ. And I think that we have seen that in Exodus as we've gone through it. The establishment of the ancient worship system and even now the consecration of their priests point firmly to Christ himself. Is it too much for us to say in these chapters that in the last one Jesus was the garments? That Jesus is the sacrifice in this chapter today? That Jesus is the priest? Is that too much to say? No, it isn't. It isn't because all of these things, these aspects in the text foreshadowed him and pointed to him quite clearly in all that he would do, even here in the consecration of priests, which is important. As we look at what these sacrifices meant, let's not lose sight of the fact that this was an ordination service for those who would represent the people and bring the people to God himself. This is a goal. There's a goal here. There's a point here, what's going on, and they're trying God is setting up the priestly system for the good of the people, out of love. He is setting up this system, consecrating these men to serve him. And so we see that in the offerings. see that in the first offering that we're going to look at today. We can't look at all the details of the text. But the first offering that was to be given on their behalf was a bull. There was going to be sacrificed a bull and two rams. Those are the three sacrifices. We start with this bull beginning verses 10 through 14. We see that this is called a sin offering. We could also call it a purification offering. And this first offering was for that sin. It emphasized the manipulation of blood for the cleansing from guilt for purification. The purification was necessary to accomplish divine forgiveness for atonement by blood. As symbolizing life through the blood, it was used to ritually wipe away the defilement of sin and death. That's what the sin offering was. The offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament overlap in many ways. Many of them have the same type of meaning. There's the same meaning here and there. They overlap, but there's distinctive emphases in these sacrifices. And the sin offering is that purification of sin, atonement for sin. And right away in the consecration of these priests, we see that we are introduced to sin itself. These priests are not holy, and so to begin their ordination, as they've cleansed and washed themselves as they go through these seven days, they are reminded that they are sinful. And so a bowl is offered, and we're given the the grim detail. Aaron and his sons lay their hands on this bowl, identifying themselves with it, transferring, as it were, their sins to a substitute. A substitutionary atonement, we can say. That's what's being imaged here as they transfer all of their guilt and crime to this bull. This bull is then slaughtered. It's slaughtered and it is divided up, and the detail is striking, bloody, even gross. And it's meant to be. Verses 13 and 14 say, "...and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the long lobe of the liver, the two kidneys." the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar, but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You took these especially, dare we say, unclean things of the altar and burned them outside the camp. They were not to be burned on the altar. This was the sin offering purifying them. So the detail is striking. These priests need their sins atoned for. The flesh and skin burned up to purify themselves and to purify the altar itself. As we see, they would place this blood on the altar, wiping away the defilement there. It's it's blood doing this. Blood is cleansing. So that's the first offering that would be given. We look at the second sacrifice. It was a burnt offering. We see this in verses 15 to 18. The next offering involved the first of the two rams. And this is an important offering. Once again, the the priests would place their hands on it, identifying with it. And once again, blood was smeared on the altar, only this time it was sprinkled on the sides, and the ram was committed to the flames with nothing left. This was a whole burnt offering. The entire ram would be burned. Israel's worship would be centered and founded on this particular offering. All of them were significant, all were important But the altar itself is called the altar of the whole burnt offering. The daily offerings we read at the end of the text that would be perpetually sacrificed each day were burnt offerings. The burnt offering was very significant. The first time we meet the burnt offering, or at least one of the first times we meet the burnt offering in God's Word, is after the flood. God had just wiped out the world in judgment. Judgment. God had literally washed the world clean, you could say. And yet what's interesting about that text is that it doesn't mention the appeasement of God's wrath until Noah comes out of the ark after the waters have receded and offers up a burnt offering. And as that pleasing aroma comes to God himself, then we read of his his wrath abating. It wasn't just wiping out the people, and it wasn't just cleansing the world. What appeased God's wrath finally and totally, even in the flood itself, was a sacrifice. A burnt offering, a whole burnt offering. That's where we see that the wrath of God appeased, but we see more than that. The burnt offering is unique. It's unique because, just as we saw, not every sacrifice was wholly burned. Portions of it were kept... The priests received their, their daily food from the offerings and sacrifices. Portions were set to them from the peace offering. That's the third offering we'll look at in a moment. But there were portions set aside, sin offering outside the camp, burned the rest on the altar, peace offerings, take some, give that to the priest, they could eat. Not the burnt offering. The whole burnt offering was offered to God. It symbolized something. It signified a life of utter consecration to God, as it was wholly burned to Him. It was symbolizing a life of self-denying obedience. Where do we get this from? Well, the entire sacrifice rising to God formed the biblical picture of restoration to Him. You see, in the burnt offering, what was of primary emphasis was not the destruction of the, the, the animal, the destruction of the being, it was emphasized the smoke, the plume, and what is it called? A pleasing aroma to God. And what it actually symbolized was this perfect, blameless sacrifice being wholly offered up to him, that this sacrifice was not destroyed by the flames, it was rather transformed into this pleasing, almost incense-like substance and aroma, and brought to God himself, arise to his presence. You see, the whole burnt offering, yes, had emphases on sin and atonement, as all sacrifices and blood do. But of particular emphasis here was that this was wholly consecrated to God, and it symbolized being brought up to God itself in a pleasing aroma, being received there. We could say, then, that this burnt offering emphasized the way back to God, which is really what we could call Exodus itself. A book of the way back to God. This is symbolized in the tabernacle, the priests, all that's going on. This is Exodus imagery being brought back to God, being brought to Him. And this, we see this in the laying of hands on on of Aaron and his sons on this animal's head. It stood for them as this substitutionary atonement as well. This is how the unworthy Israelite would approach the Lord's house, through a blameless substitute, one that was pleasing and one that brought the the, the sacrifice itself up to God. Verse 18 describes the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. The language describes going up. You could almost call this the going up offering because that's what was emphasized, what went up to God himself. And so this was part of the ordination of the people, and all these sacrifices would become the common sacrifices of the people of Israel. It would be the sin offering, it would be the burnt offering, it would be the peace offering, and these would be the three common sacrifices of the worship of ancient Israel. And Now we turn to the third offering, a ram of ordination. This is in verses 19 to 34. Here it's specifically called this ram of ordination because it's for the setting up of the priests. This is a peace offering, though. You can see that later in the text. It's called a peace offering. What's going on here? Well, this is the third offering. It's the second ram. Notice again that they place their hands on it, but yet something different happens this time. They take the blood and they put it where? On the priest's. They put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, likely pointing to the consecration of their entire bodies from head to toe. The blood has covered them. And yet there's likely more emphasis on the, the where they put it on their body. The ear purifies them in that they will hear God's word. The priests will be those who hear, and so it's placed on their ear. Their thumbs on their hands, their right hands, that hand of power, this is where they would perform their priestly tasks and duties, and their hand was consecrated and washed in blood. Their feet would be what would carry them into the holy place of God. Now they can walk in the sight of God. And the blood then was placed on on these points of their body, emphasizing even their tasks for their priestly office. This sacrifice main function was to sanctify the priest, you see, the first sin offering was one that showed justification, showed how they were right with God, a whole uh, a, a offering offered outside the camp for sin. That was justification, but the blood sprinkled on them here shows sanctification, shows their setting apart the consecration, being made holy for this task. One commentator says this about the, the whole process. The priests were washed with water. They were robed in righteousness. They were anointed with oil. They were sprinkled with sacrificial blood. They were purified, sanctified, anointed, and justified. And in this way, they were consecrated for the holy service of God. In a word, they were ordained. That is what's involved in ordination. That is what's involved in being set apart as a... Officer in the church even today, not that we do these ceremonies, but you see what's what's viewed there. One covered in blood, sanctified, called for the service, that they would be those to, to bring the needs of the people, bear the needs of the people, go into God's presence and intercede. And so we see then all that they have done, all that they would do in these offerings. You can see the flow of the sacrifices and how that would eventually apply to the people in in these sacrifices they would make. So sin, purification, burnt offering, and that being risen to God himself, and then peace in a fellowship offering. To purify the sinner in the sin offering, to be brought as a blameless representative to God in the burnt offering, to have a meal of fellowship in the peace offering. That's how that last offering and sacrifice ends. We may have lost it in the, in the reading with all the detail, but you see that they were apportioned a, 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 a portion, to portion. That's a good way of speaking. They were apportioned a portion of the sacrifice that they could eat. They had a fellowship meal with God himself. That's what was going on there. You can think of Exodus 24. After the covenant was made, when the elders walked up the mountain and had a fellowship meal where they saw God. Something similar goes on in the sacrifice. And so we see what these all mean and and how they were used in the worship of Israel. And lastly, before we move to our second and final point, verses 38 to 46 explains what the priests will daily do, and that's significant for us to see every day. Every day, two lambs a year old would be offered, one lamb in the morning, and the other at twilight, a regular burnt offering to God. Every day, they would be brought to God's presence through a blameless substitute. That's significant. Covering them every single day of their lives. Sacrifice, blood being brought to God, and not being rejected. Satiating God's wrath, just like Noah did after the flood. A pleasing aroma to God altered at this place of worship. So we see what the sacrifices meant, but how do they point to Christ? So what about the man? What about the consecration of the man? We see the consecration of the priests and those who would serve in God's abode. Well, what of Christ? There is a special connection between these offerings and the sufferings of Christ. The sacrifice of a bull as a sin offering for the priests. This is beautiful, by the way. If you've kind of started to lose Never, no, we would never say this. If you started to lose interest, no, we can't do that. If you've lost interest, pay back attention. This is very important. This is beautiful. That sin offering, burned outside the camp, even the unmentionables of it, the dung, the skin, all this stuff, not even to be burned on the altar. Hebrews 13, 10 to 14 says this. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Jesus being, as we could use this sacrificial analogy, burned outside the camp, likened him to the sin offering itself. To the discarded remnants of a sacrifice burned outside the camp. So was Jesus burned outside the camp for sin, to atone for his people. Sacrifices matter. They're important. What happened to Jesus in the New Testament is because of what's happening here. This matters. It matters that we understand it. It matters that we understand Hebrews is saying he was this sin offering. And more than that, he was burned outside the camp, just like those elements of the sin offering for what? Our purification? The atonement of our sin? Jesus is that sin offering. Jesus is also the very burnt offering of God. He's that sweet-smelling aroma. He's that blameless sacrifice that in its entirety is offered up to God and brings the worshiper through that substitutionary atonement up to God in a pleasing way. And so Christ is the burnt offering. Jesus is also the ram of ordination or the later peace offering. Not only in that he himself is that true ordained priest of God, the true eternal high priest of God, better than Aaron and all of his sons, he is also the one who by his sacrifice brings us to a fellowship meal with God himself. The portions that were given to, to the priests of these holy sacrifices in Christ are given to us. We partake of a fellowship meal, a communion meal in the New Testament. You see, these sacrifices and what they did were to consecrate the priests. This wasn't to consecrate all the people of Israel at that time. And yet we see in its fulfillment that we have become what? But a kingdom, a nation of priests. But that doesn't shock us. It doesn't surprise us. We've read that, haven't we? We are a nation of priests, a holy nation. We are brought in this through Christ and through our union with him. So Christ is all of these things. Jesus portrayed as well those two lambs daily offered. Now these lambs show their inferiority. Always being offered, daily offered. The priests show their inferiority. The succession would pass from Aaron to his sons. Without end, it seemed, until Christ did it, and it ended showing the superiority. No more daily sacrifices, no more ordination of priests, Christ is our eternal high priest. Verse 45 at the end of our text says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. He did it in a a model way, a precursory way, through the priests then at this time. He does it fully in Christ. And finally, look at verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of out of the land of Egypt that my that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. This has been a repeated theme throughout Exodus. By this you will know I am your God. And what was it? We saw it was plagues. It was judgment. And he kept telling the nation of Israel and the people, by my outstretched arm and this power of deliverance, you will know that I am your your God. And then we saw it again in the provision of wilderness wandering. The people were all over the place. They're wandering. They're grumbling. They're complaining. And God continues to provide, gives them manna, gives them what they need, gives them water, and says, by this you will know that I am your Lord. By provision. And now, how does he say it? How How will the people know that he is their God? By provision of two things, priests and sacrifices. This you will know. In this you will know that I am your God. Priests to represent you. Sacrifices to cleanse you. This is the way back to God. And yet, the, the, the true beauty of Exodus is how we began the way back to God isn't these things. It's what they pointed to. Jesus is that answer to Exodus. Do we see the heart of our God in that? It struck me as I was preparing this very text. I don't think that's where we would normally go as we're reading of the long lobe of the liver. What is even that? I don't, I don't even know, and I studied that the long lobe of the liver. Well, what, what is all these things, these details? Why does it matter? Do you see the heart of God here? You see what's being instituted as a priesthood. And at the center of the priesthood are the Sacrifices. At the center of the sacrifices are blood and death and shame. I think you see where I'm going with this. At the center of the blood and death and shame is Christ himself. You, do we see God's heart and his love for his people? Not only is he ordaining priests to do this for his people, what they're going to do daily, we think of it as they're daily appeasing God. They're daily appeasing God. And they are! How are they appeasing God, though? What what comes to God if we can speak of him as a man? The Bible does this. It uses human language to speak of God. And so we're going to speak of him in this way. What is coming into God's senses as he breathes these things? What's in God's mind as he looks at these sacrifices? It's not just, oh, they're appeasing me, they're obeying me. It's what they're putting before me is my blood, my death, my son's sacrifice. My son being brought out of the camp. My son being the one they're laying their hands on, transferring their sin and shame and guilt on. And these are just to ordain the men that will continue to remind me of what I will do to save my people. The sacrificial system, the priesthood, is beautiful. That's why Hebrews is so excited to talk about how Christ is the fulfillment of this once glorious office he fulfills it in such a way that this once glorious office is just seen to be inferior to what Christ brings as our priest and our substitute. How does that verse end? I mean, how does our text end in verse 46? And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I what? That I might dwell among them. Why? Why does God desire to dwell among us? It is because we're so great. It's not because we deserve it. And yet he desires to have a covenant people to dwell among and love. We receive all of this in Christ. We are his very image bearers. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He, he purifies us in his Son, and so he desires to dwell with his people, those he has gifted to his own Son, and his Son has gifted back to him. And in this, then, we do see that he is our Lord. He is our Lord who has brought us, people of God, literally us, out of a land of slavery and desolation to service to him. And We know he is our Lord who we dwell with. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we praise your great name. We praise you as we can see in the ordination of priests, your provision for your people. And we see in the meaning of the sacrifices given how they also clearly point to you. And yet we don't want to end simply in a general, this points to God, but rather more specific, this points to your covenantal love. your faithfulness, to your steadfast love, and to what you would do through these sacrifices, you being that sin offering, that burnt offering, that peace offering to us. We praise you in all these things in Christ's name.